We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land where we're recording. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging, and to all Indigenous peoples worldwide who are listening in. Hello and welcome to the Doyen Interviews with me, Bridget Nathan. These interviews chat to women in architecture and design to share the achievements, challenges and highlights that have shaped their lives and careers. In this special two-part episode, we chat to two recipients of the 2019 Julux Travelling Tour Award, Alex Smith from Melbourne and Jen McMaster from Sydney. Thanks to everyone who's contributed to this podcast, and in particular to Anon for providing the beautiful introductory music. How lucky are we to have this series bookended by such beautiful tunes. In all of the cities we went to, there were these common threads of the practices in what they were talking about and interested in and fascinated by. And you could sort of start to see that all around you. Copenhagen, just every architect that we spoke to, pretty much all of the buildings and projects that we visited was this like really strong ambition to have a real social impact on the city. First up, we have Alex. Thanks, Alex, for your time. So, put your earphones in and head out for that walk. Make yourself a cup of tea or simply just enjoy the next hour and a bit of this extended podcast. different backgrounds, um, different design backgrounds. And so, yeah, it's been 
lovely educational experience in that way that it's kind of been a lot broader than just architecture. What was it like when you started as opposed to where you are now? Yeah, well, yeah, I feel I feel like Hassel's changed a lot. Yeah. In, I've been there six years. I feel like Hassel's changed a lot in that time, but I don't know if that's just because I've changed a lot as well. <laughs> yeah, you start to see things differently um, totally. very easily, I, yeah, I think. <laughs> exactly. And the more you know, the more you kind of see as well. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, it has been quite a time of change for Hassel yeah. to you know really and it, and it hasn't always been you know a smooth path as any kind of path to change yeah. is um but about really making sure that we're practicing what we preach about that collaboration which is always hard because you know it's nice to be comfortable and and stay in your kind of little pocket and <laughs> focus on your certain thing so yeah um, but i think you know over that time everyone's sort of changed for the better which is yeah it's been quite an exciting time and we've had some great projects come in in the last five years so yeah I think it's just been it's been great kind of riding that wave of, of hassle yeah. <laughs> that change. yeah and so like what's a day today like like what would a busy day at hassle have been like so uh, lots of stuff so I think you know, of course, we have our you have your, your desk time where you're at your computer doing your work, and then the sort of other things that punctuate that day. Typically, for me, would be um, the thing that I enjoy the most is design reviews. So it's kind of like a, a uni crit. Yeah. So the team will pin up their work, and we all stand stand around and discuss it. And I just always love that. I get a lot of energy from that and I think it's just kind of exciting part of the design process yeah um and so yeah that's that's really fun and it's just great to have that kind of open communication in the day as well when you go from like really focused to these really kind of loud open discussions yeah um other stuff is you know just lots of you know meetings with clients and meetings with collaborators um and currently we're doing a big intern recruitment at the moment so we've got lots of interviews for interns happening at the moment which is also super fun yeah um yeah i guess that would kind of be a typical day and then usually you know once a week we have bread breaking where we all eat delicious bread together and then oh that's cool yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah fun stuff in there oh that's cool and so has there been like a specific mentor that you've had or has it been something that's been a bit more informal um, so I've kind of had both. Yeah. So, um, I've, yeah, I've been a part of two formal mentor programs, one yeah. with the the property council. So that was with someone kind of outside of architecture. She was a, a leasing manager for um, a kind of big super fund, which was super interesting. At the property council of Australia, they do a mentoring program. So right. it was pretty funny. You do like a personality test, basically. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so it was kind of, it was kind of, interesting because you go in in cold and you the first meeting you're just like oh god are we gonna get along yeah (laughs) um but she was yes super interesting and and yeah really great and yeah I think I've just I was kind of saying to you before Bridget I've Bridget I've just been so blown away by how generous um you know older professionals or more experienced professionals are with their time yeah 
Um, and so that was just, yeah, that was a lovely experience. And then I've had a formal internal hassle mentor, um, also someone who was from the studio that I wasn't working in at the time. And so cool. that was really great because I think, and I, but also I've had lots of informal mentors and kind of people who looked out for me and, and you sort of just people you watch as well that you work closely with, yeah, and then maybe a bit, a little bit more similar to you during the day, yeah. Um, and so then when I have a chance to have a formal mentor, I try and make it someone who's like quite different to me or has a different background to me to help me challenge what I think I am or want to be. Oh, that's a great. Um, that's a good way to approach yeah. it. I always say when someone says I want a mentor, who should I get? I always. Just sort of saying, you know, you got to make a Frankenstein mentor. You can't, like, there's never going to be one person who's going to be your perfect role model yeah. in every part of your job or every part of the way you want to lead or yeah. progress in your career. You've kind of got to take the head of one and then you take the arms of another one and <laughs> stitch them together to become your own person. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's a, that's a really cool um, analogy. One thing I've been thinking about as well with mentoring and architecture is I think it's just such a great way to practice talking to new people and to create a network because mm. then it's almost like this little, yeah, this practicing time and then once you kind of get your feet a little bit within this architectural community then I think approaching clients and networking outside of architecture becomes like a little bit easier and I think it totally yeah it like strengthens the industry as a whole um yeah exactly that's so true yeah and so with your time at Hassel has there been a pivotal learning curve or like a pivotal project that you can reflect on one was probably um, I was working on four train stations for the level crossing removal, um, okay. and we were. I was I was asked to be. I think I was just a grad, and I was asked to be the design lead of this team of you know I think there was about forty architects and landscape architects. So oh that my was just god! Quite, wow, um, intimidating. Yeah, but. Um, it was exciting, and we were kind of, we were co-located with the engineers at um, another office, and that experience that I felt like that was and that was for about a year, and it felt like just such a fast track to learning about managing people. And I definitely made a lot of mistakes along the way, managing people, um, yeah. kind of motivating people as well, rather than just managing. Yeah. And then also. Um, you know, we were with the engineers and the builders in the same room every, oh, wow. every day, five days a week. And wow. so there was a crash course in coordination <laughs> and communication with those other groups. And um, that, yeah, that was quite a stressful time. But I think it's through those like times of, of stress that you learn so much. Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, that was a huge one. And then last year I spent six months in our Shanghai studio oh did you cool yeah which was just amazing and you know up until then I'd worked all my life in Melbourne and I kind of was starting to get a feel for the industry in Melbourne and it'd been a hassle for five years so I kind of was getting an idea about how things worked at hassle in Melbourne and then I think to be put 
in you know a new cultural environment, a new country. It was you know much smaller practice. I'd gone from being in a team of sixty architects to being in a team of six architects in Shanghai. Um, that was a massive learning experience for me, and I think taught me a lot about myself and about communication and um, just so many things in about China that I didn't know. Wow! Before. So yeah, how it was just amazing. Wow! So how was it in China? Like what a what a um a location change to be in Melbourne and then to find yourself yeah. in China. That would have just been amazing. <laughs> It was amazing. It's just, I mean, Shanghai is an incredible city. Yeah. There's just so much energy and things happen so quickly and, um, you know, it is a real melting pot. So, yeah, it was just yeah, an incredible, incredible experience. The projects are so different, you know, they're bigger or faster or... Um, you know, they'll have bigger budget sometimes. Yeah. So, and then you start dealing with lots of different pressures. And, yeah, it's, yeah, it was amazing. How do you feel Hassel is able to kind of have this, like, global identity that's similar mm. in all of these studios? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because, you know, as I've mentioned before, we value that diversity, but then yeah. you still need something cohesive yeah. and consistent to give you an identity. So, I mean, there's many, there were many things that were different, um, but there were lots of things that were the same as well. So um, I think it was that that culture of openness and you know allowing people to speak and and that pinning up is a really it's such a simple thing but it was such a critical it's such a critical tool to make sure that that happens and then you yeah. can allow lots of different people in the team to speak so those design reviews um you know the leadership team you know, they're a global team. So the, the same kind of hassle values are across the different um, a different the different studios. But um Yeah. Yeah. Instead of having bread breaking and we had we had bow and dumpling breakfast one day, which is <laughs> um, but yeah, there's lots of little differences, but yeah, it, there is there, you can still feel that it's hassle, which is yeah. is quite interesting. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. And so you've also just um, participated in the Julux Travelling Scholarship, which is um, something as well that I should probably introduce to the anyone who's listening. This episode will be a bit of a either a two-part or a follow-on episode with Jen, um, another Yay. recipient of the award. So um, we're so happy that you both were able to do it because I think it, it's, it would be so interesting for people to hear about what that was like and then also to hear later about what it was like for her. So um, I'll get you to introduce first because your your interview has happened first. Um, what, <laughs> what, what is the Dulax Travelling Scholarship and, um, yeah, like how was it? Oh, it was incredible. So yeah. um, it is a study tour that Julux sponsors every year. I think they've done it for about the last 10 or 11 years. Wow. Um, and they they kind of pick five or so emerging architects so that yeah. they'll be within 10 years of graduating um, from around Australia of kind of different backgrounds to go and, and visit usually three cities um, in the world and, you know, visit a whole bunch of buildings and meet lots of practices and 
Um, this year we went to Copenhagen, London and Lisbon. Right. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's also run by the AIA and um, Architecture Media gets involved as well. So okay. it's a good kind of crew of people sort yeah. of travelling around. And, My God. and how long does it go for? Uh, it was two weeks. Okay. Yeah, it was a real whirlwind, but it was, yeah, jam-packed. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And so, like, what did you get out of it? Was it the buildings that you saw or the the people from Australia or the contacts that you met over there? I'm sure it was all of it, but what was something that, <laughs> that stood out to you? What was it? Yeah, like, what did you take home from uh-huh. it? Yeah, it was yeah, so so much stuff, and I mean, I think it's always it's always just so good to see the buildings that you've seen online or seen in magazines um, in the flesh, and usually your experience of them in person is so different. So that's always you know a great learning experience to test your assumptions and and expectations. Um, so that was. That was incredible. And then, yeah, meeting the practices was was great. And just being able to have two weeks of dedicated time to really nerd out and talk about architecture. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, it's pretty rare on a holiday that you can get that time. Um, Yeah. and, And with people of different with architects of different backgrounds as well, you know, um where there was one architect Carly from from Tasmania, there was two from Sydney and one from Corowa, which is a small town that hasn't had an architect for forty years before oh, he wow. was practicing in the town. So and you know, firms as big as Hassel and firms as small as his practice, which is, you know, a couple of people. So yeah. um, it's so interesting to to see how those like really, really broad um experience of architecture then how that kind of affects the perception of what you're seeing and the people that you're meeting as well. Yeah, that's so true. And the sort of questions that you ask and what you focus on and yeah, that's super interesting. Do you think it's changed your outlook on um like coming back to Australia and applying I mean, you've been also so in China. You've been in all these different countries. Like, has it? Do you think? And especially since being been very lucky. Yeah, <laughs> stepping into this new role. Do you think it'll change and yeah, help? Um, well, essentially, is sort of helping. If you, yeah, I'm sure you feel really grateful. But like on another, like just looking at it really critically, like it's so great that emerging um, practitioners can be fostered and that we can bring all this stuff back to Australia. Uh, yeah, I think there's, there's lots of there's lots of lessons to bring back. I mean, one, one thing is that I was really um, sort of inspired by was in Copenhagen, just every architect that we spoke to and pretty much all of the buildings and projects that we visited was this, like, really strong ambition to have a real social impact on the city yeah um and and making sure that you really fight for that as a designer and kind of believing in your role as a designer but to do that um to give something to give something back you know and challenge the brief and challenge your client you know whether it's something as simple as you know putting a ski slope on a um a power plant and yeah. just you know doubling the function of that or you know we saw a great a great school really humble kind of schoolyard that 
they just the simple act of not um, including offence just kind of teach teaches the kids in the community so much about you know safety and respect and and privacy um, yeah. and so it's kind of these these really little moves and these really big moves that were all about yeah giving something back and that you do have power as a designer to do that you've just got to work hard for it so I think that was quite an inspiring thing and something that I you know want to remember when you're kind of stuck in the doldrums of a project and and you're trying to you know think of something that's gonna gonna light the fire to keep you going so that was amazing and just such people such people-centered design in Copenhagen yeah um and I think also a pretty much consistent theme across all the cities and the people that we met who are all you know they've all the practices we met there at the top of their game. So they're super successful and interesting and innovative, but it was they all really made sure they made time for research and thinking and strategy and um, and even if it's, at, you know, sometimes within projects and sometimes outside of it and just making sure you're really allowing that time to think yeah. <laughs> and, and to make the best for the project. And I think that's something you can kind of... Um, you can do it on a personal level and you can also start to influence it, the way a practice works or a project is programmed or um, the way you speak to your clients about the value of design um, yeah. to, to make sure you've got time for that. So I think they were kind of the two really, really big takeaways yeah. in terms of practice. It's incredible to just have that time to think and it sort of goes back to that, you know, making time for research. It was its own kind of research in a way as well. Yeah, that's so true. And so what about the personalities that you met when you were there? Like, were there some practitioners that you were able to talk to that changed your some of your ideas about what architecture can be? Yeah, yeah, there were some amazing, amazing practitioners that we met. I'm trying to think of the real kind of standout. Yeah. I mean, in, um, in Copenhagen... Uh, I'm just obsessed with the work of Kobe and, you yeah. know, was kind of blown away by their their office and the way they operate. And we had yeah. a really great host there who kind of just talked through that with absolute clarity about the master plan of the project that their their office is in this new precinct that it's located in. And yeah. then, you know, it was amazing to then go and walk around that precinct and see how successful it had been. So that was, yeah, that was a really a great one and I could kind of see a lot of parallels with Cove and um, and Hassel as yeah. well like you know in terms of size and the scale of the projects and that sort of design process so it was right. great to kind of see them at the top of their game yeah um, and then also in Copenhagen we met David Falstrup um, and and his um, colleague Georgie Pretty and they were just we were, everyone was kind of blown away by the openness of David you know his practice has grown a lot in 10 years and he was just yeah quite honest about um the struggles and the kind of personal reflection he's had to go through in in letting go of control wow. as the kind of the namesake of, of the project and, yeah. and it was yeah it was quite lovely this personal journey that he'd been on to be able to relinquish control and how he's been able to then see his team sort of um, flourish once he was able to do that and the work kind of even becomes stronger so wow that was that was just kind of unexpected when we walked yeah. into it and then, yeah that was a really great one 
Um, who else was great? Foster's was really amazing. Yeah. They just, you know, it's just a quite overwhelming space. And, yeah, the, the amount of money and effort and talent that they put into research um, in everything that they do is was yeah quite mind-blowing and yeah yes it's yeah, it feels like it's from the future really <laughs> um, yeah and then in and then in Portugal we met lots oh, they were just so the people that we met in Portugal were so generous and calm and, and considered and um the last person we met um was Jose Mateus from ARX and he again, like David Fulstrup, was just so open about the kind of failings that he's had over his career yeah. and his practice. And then it's just, yeah, it's really inspiring to kind of see that resilience that, he, you know, over 20 or 30 years when the economy completely crashed and they had no projects, you know, seeing what that that passion that kind of gets you through and that feeling that you can leave the world a better place as a designer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was really great. Uh, it's cool Lots that you... great ones. Yeah, there's just every... The more you get into architecture and especially for myself interviewing all these people, you realise that it doesn't really matter if someone's working for a small firm or, like, a, some, like, Foster's, this huge powerhouse. Um, mm. People are just doing amazing stuff and it's all so unique and sounds like mm. you're able to, like, take a different thing from all of the different people that you've met. That's so cool. And exactly. Yeah, this is, like, not specifically one of my questions, but how do you feel looking back on when you first started studying architecture to where you are now? Did you first start, like, what inspired you to even do architecture in the first place? Oh, it's a good question. <laughs> um, I have no idea why I was so kind of persistent that I would um, study architecture yeah. when I was at school because I didn't know any architects. Yeah. I, I didn't have any architects in my family. I literally could not have named one architect. Yeah. I didn't, re- I didn't know in hindsight anything about what architects do. Yeah. Um, so I kind of went into, I, you know, I just thought I really liked art and I was you know you hear this often from people when you ask why did they get into it yeah quite, yeah I really loved art and I was like decent at maths yeah um, so I kind of could do that problem solving logic part of it yeah and then I just thought that that would be a kind of good combination and I liked making things which you know is always helpful yeah um, and then I probably got the kind of shock of my life when I went to uni. (laughs) And sort of every semester I just couldn't believe how much I didn't know about the, you know, the semester before, from the semester before. And (laughs) it was just such a steep learning curve. Yeah. I kind of felt the same. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Oh, definitely. You've also had um, a bit of a partner in crime through it. Like, what's it been like to... Did you study architecture with your partner who's now your husband or did you guys study like parallel or did you meet like later we actually met on the first day the first class of uni yeah um we were in a 
design studio together and coming from an all-girls school, I was just kind of like, oh, my God, there's a really cute boy. Like, I'm like, he's amazing. Yeah. Um, And he was studying landscape architecture. Oh. But um, we had a lot of shared classes at that time. So we kind of spent the first six months together as friends and then, you know, the classes then became different for the two co- the two courses. So then I yeah. think we kind of really only got together in about third year. Yeah. Um, and then he, I did my master's at Melbourne Uni. Yeah. And he did his master's at RMIT. So we kind of then... Still in landscape. a little bit. And because he was, um, he started doing landscape architecture and then transferred to architecture, oh, he was right. sort of... Um, had an extra year of his bachelor's, so yeah. the timing was a little bit misaligned as well. Yeah. Um, and then we've had, you know, we've done a little bit of private work together. Oh, cool. Um, and, but we've, you know, both worked at different firms. He worked at ARM for a long time and then worked yeah. at field work. Um, and so, and I think we're quite, we're quite different architects. Um, you know, we value a lot of the same things in design, but... He is like just an amazing technical architect, really good on site, incredible coordinator. Yeah. And then he's, you know, he can really excel at one to five, and I am more of a one to five hundred girl. Oh. <laughs> so it's just, um, and I like one to five as well. But you know, that's just we have kind of different. Yeah. Um, we have we have different sort of niches in what we do. Yeah. And that's been really nice as well to kind of yeah obviously you have a lot in common yes as as architects um but then to also have those different experiences that you can draw on and it's always just nice to you know when you're confronted with a problem at work or uni is to hear how it's done differently somewhere else yeah as well um but yeah it's been really lovely we don't talk about architecture too much at home (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it makes you know it's an amazing kind of to have that person who, you know, as I was just saying before, you know, you, you see you both see the world in a different way and yeah. to sort of be able to to be able to have that those architectural lenses on when you're kind of going moving through the world. It's, yeah. it's really lovely. Yeah, that's so true. And I think um I mean gender is a really big topic and I wouldn't want to say, <clears throat> I wouldn't want to make like broad statements of saying oh it's good to have a male perspective and a female perspective because I I think it's um much more complicated than that but the comment that I would make is that um I love my male friendships and I think Mm. it's super important to have not I mean I think something I'm really conscious about in this podcast um which I was thinking about when we were talking earlier about sharing information is also getting out of this typical typically female like based discussion format and actually sharing these ideas with a larger audience and something that's been happening to me just in the last two to three weeks because I've been really adding a lot of people on Instagram um I've been having people like (laughs) a lot of guys like not a lot but say maybe 
five guys have written to me from like quite established firms just with like a little sentence like one happened this morning um yeah you should look up so and so and recommended a female and uh, that's been something that I've really liked and so yeah I'm really trying to get these conversations like into male ears and to get guys into the conversation too because guys have problems and as well and these just these aren't just women's issues like these are things that affect everyone now well like you know as as I told you earlier I'm pregnant at the moment so now it's kind of becoming quite clear how different it can be you know when as you transition to parenthood for women and men yeah um and it doesn't have to be it's just kind of you know a lot of the way the systems are set up and I think that's um I've found of all of all things that that's been the kind of where I've seen the biggest disparity yeah. between what is expected of both of us as, right. um, as a man and a woman. Like, I just, I don't know, I think it's kind of unfair <laughs> that the man only gets two weeks of paternity. Yes. Like, you know, things, things, things like that. Um, yeah. And that's not just an architecture thing, you know, that's no. the way kind of the government award is set up for all ah, men and women. I totally agree. But, I was, um, yeah, I was thinking about that the other day too. It's like two weeks is not a long time to get to know your child. It's a very short time, yeah. <laughs> it's a really short time. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I think I've had some some amazing examples of hassle of, of great dads that have been, you know, quite open about the fact that they work part-time because, you know, they're parents, so they're sharing the load. And I think that, yeah, as you said, men cannot be taken out of this conversation because, yeah. you know, the more I think that's just one really kind of concrete material way that you can make positive change for women and men is yeah. that, you know, if they're kind of expected to do and expected and, and you know acknowledged for being able to do half the parenting and taking that part-time or you know whatever you need to to parent then it makes it so much more acceptable for both genders to be able to do that if they want to um yeah so yeah it's been it's been interesting. I think it's also been funny. We've kind of had similar experiences on site. Um, Tim's like, you know, he's a lovely, he's a gentle person. And I yeah. think both of us are going into environments filled with builders or, um, you know, subcontractors and the kind of hard negotiations yeah. that you go through when you're really at the nitty gritty on site. It's, we've both had to kind of deal with how to you know keep retaining our integrity and our personalities but you know being able to be strong and you know fight for what you believe in with with that you know yeah those kind of personality traits but um yeah yeah, do you have Mm. any like sort of I guess anything that you would want to comment on um is there anything else that's like come up over the years that's affected you or that you'd want us to see changed it's absolutely, you know, it's definitely not perfect being a woman yeah. in the architecture and construction industry, but, um, you know, I, f- I feel that I've been personally very fortunate and I was, you know, we were speaking about this before, yeah. is um, my kind of secondary education was at an all-girls school and, and the school motto was women in time will do great things. Yeah. And so, you know, you, I've always kind of had this sort of feminist um, ideology yeah. in the 
and you know I was saying before being surrounded by only women at school and so the only people you see really around you succeeding in whatever it is academia sport art whatever um or you know leadership is they were all women you know yeah. it wasn't they just I just didn't even really see an example of a man doing that at my kind of peer level um so that was that kind of set me up for this sort of naive confidence that a woman absolutely could and should be able to do yeah. went to uni um and it's it was you know pretty evenly split in the student numbers male and female and I never felt that gender was a topic um yeah. at uni and then yeah I think the biggest shock was getting into the workplace and, and the workplace was a little bit further behind and that there were just there just were so many more men um in well first of all within architecture but then also outside of it so a lot of the your consultants and you know most of your most of the contractors and a lot of the clients were men so I've found myself probably for the first time in my life in situations where I was you know one of the only women in the room if not the only woman in the room yeah um and it's definitely start, it's definitely changed a lot. The balance has changed a lot in my time at Hassel, but there's a lot more um, women in Hassel that I've, I've seen celebrated, but still those other external parties that you deal with are kind of further behind. So it's still something that you feel, I think. Yeah. It's still something that you feel in a lot of your interactions in work that you are a woman and, and there's always something in the back of your head that, you know, maybe because you're a woman you're being perceived as something different and you know there's all those kind of insecurities that come up with that and yeah. things are happening because you're a woman or they're just happening because you're you and something that you've done yeah. um so yeah it's a it's an interesting and complicated position to be in and i'm sure it's happened to heaps of people you're sitting around and then somebody like one of the guys swears and then there's and then they look at you and they're like sorry sorry yeah, pardon me and you're like my ears can handle it i've heard swear <laughs> <laughs> yeah like sometimes that's if i think back to like my dad and how he was when i was growing up like you know for someone like him to swear in front of a woman would be really rude and just something that like wouldn't be done but now we're mm. in, we're in different times and now we want to be sweared at <laughs> <laughs> we just want to be included in everything <laughs> including swearing and I think I mean on the you know on the flip side with those those little challenges that come from being a woman is there's also I found incredible kind of strength from being part of a kind of tribe yeah you, you almost see like a knowing wink sometimes across the room when there is that, that <laughs> female every once in a while yeah um which is really lovely and I think yeah from within architecture and also without of it there is you know there's so much so much generosity in the generation that has come before us of women and, um, and and sharing of their struggles and sharing how to overcome those things and kind of looking out for each other that I've yeah, been really sort of blown away by, which is, yeah, the kind of the lovely upside of it. Yeah. <laughs> Such a great sense of community in architecture. I think that's something that's, um, I think that's something we're doing pretty well. 
Yeah, totally. And so um, just a couple of questions to kind of wrap up. Like, what are your ambitions for the future? Like, how do you feel? Um, so you've just become senior associate. You're pregnant. So everything's <laughs> going to change. Like, how are you feeling? Um, oh, I'm feeling great and yeah. excited. Yeah. Um, and terrified mainly about the child. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I look. I mean, there's some there's some pretty big goals that I feel that um, I've been able to achieve this yeah. year, which has just been incredible, and I really just want to kind of take the time to enjoy them. I've got goal fatigue. <laughs> I just yeah. want to kind of enjoy them because I think we're always, well, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's my kind of personality type, but I'm, you know, always looking for the next thing and changing, you know, as soon as I reach a goalpost, then I change the goalposts yeah. for the next thing. And, yeah, I'm kind of trying to make a conscious effort to just enjoy enjoy it while I can so I can yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Alex, for your time. What an energetic and lovely half an hour. I feel like we've all been on the journey with you from Melbourne to China and all around Europe. But wait, there's more. Please stay tuned as we head over to Darlinghurst, Sydney, to the beautiful Trieste studio for a chat with Jen. joining me on Skype she's based in New South Wales and uh, as I mentioned in the previous episode this is actually a bit of a follow-on chat to a conversation I've just had with Alex Smith so Jen and Alex um, know each other through being recipients of the Julux traveling scholarship so that will be a part of our interview but I'll also be just in general chatting to Jen about her work and her experience so Jen if you could introduce yourself and yeah just a little bit about what you do. Of course so um so my name is Jen and I'm one of three directors of a small practice called Trius so I guess you've described us as an emerging architecture studio based up in Sydney so we're a practice of three, myself, uh, my partner Johnny and Casey, our good friend. So we formed our practice around about 2016, the three of us studied together at university and all sort of met there and always had this dream of starting a practice and eventually, after getting a bit of experience and so on, then together and, and formed Trias. Cool. And I guess um, our name and our structure is, is quite deliberate, so... Trius relates back to, actually relates back to Vitruvius and this idea of an architecture that's based on first principles. So the Vitruvian triad, of course, had those ideas of um, firmness, commodity and delight that were in his treatise. And we've sort of translated them in our own practice to pursuing an architecture of solidity, simplicity and beauty. Cool. So with our work, we, and with our practice, I think we've tried to really unify around a set of values and a set of um, ideals to practice in our work, um, much more than, you know, ourselves or our names or our identities. So um, in our studio, we often use that name and those three principles as a yardstick for um, the type of work we're producing and the type of architecture we want to keep doing as a practice. How did you actually come together as the three of you? Was it very organic? It was quite organic. 
again, if I mean, we all had known each other throughout our uni studies and then yeah. at various times we all worked in the same practices. So, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, most notably Johnny and Casey worked at Andrew Burns Architects for quite a long time. Oh, so cool. they really got to know each other there. And yeah. Johnny being my partner, we were sort of doing a lot of yeah. competitions and projects on the side. So the three of us sort of, um, I guess, worked for quite similar people. Casey and I both also worked for Peter Starch Group. So we had this common lineage and set of values that I think came from our studies and from the people that we practised with and had the opportunity to learn from. So, yeah, I guess they're the sort of foundations that, that helped us on our path. Um, yeah. Though we didn't actually come up with the name. That was, right. um, that was the, brain, the brainwave of one of our clients oh, who cool. has gifted us the, the kind of wonderful framework of the way we practice now. So we feel very lucky <laughs> that she was <laughs> to come up with it because we weren't, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Um, yeah, I, I feel slightly similar. I got mine the name The Doyen Interviews. Um, mm-hmm. I, was, I had a few ideas floating around in my head for, like, words that represented women that maybe weren't as well-known, and I started to get really into um, the design files podcast and um she um lucy uh introduces a lot of her female interviewees as doyens and um Mm. so i actually emailed them and i was like i do you have any plans to do like a doyen series because um otherwise do you mind and they're like no no that's fine (laughs) um funny these things can come from anywhere and I really like that you've kind of started on that note talking about values I did um a podcast interview with Megan Dwyer from John Wardle Architects and um some of her advice towards the end was um yeah really centered on that like um advising graduates to really think about their values and leading Mm -hmm. from that I think it's a really Mm -hmm. strong place so so what sort of body of work do you guys produce what's it like a project that you're working on for example at the moment so most of our work is residential so a lot of the work we're doing is in housing I guess around Sydney and on the outskirts of Sydney beyond but one of the kind of most captivating projects that we've got on the books at the moment is one up in the Byron Bacon land so it's actually um, based around a Queenslander that was relocated from Brisbane so our client used to work for past this Queenslander every day on her street in West End and then one day the site went up for sale and so she called the developer and said oh can I can I buy that old Queenslander it's a sort of 1890s beautiful old um, foreign cottage and the developer gave her the house and so she sort of went looking for land and ended up shipping it down to Byron Bay in, in two halves oh wow yeah yeah so it's this project that's basically evolved from this existing house that has all of this amazing history and, and memory and its walls and rooms and so on that's and incredible they're a family of six and oh. so um four rooms isn't quite sufficient for how they they live um and so we've sort of been tasked with adding a new extension or a wing that complements mm. that existing queenslander oh wow. and so it's just been this fantastic project to sort of try and understand the taxonomy of such a familiar Australian um, typology, the Queenslander, and something that being based in New South Wales we're not super familiar with. And so for some of the listeners who might not be familiar with what a Queenslander is, I've um, had a few mm-hmm. people um, 
participating and tuning in from overseas, which is really cool. Could you sort of ex- explain what is a Queenslander? So I guess Queenslanders are, um, they're a kind of common or vernacular housing typology from Queensland, from the north of Australia. And they're one of those housing types that are just, the more that you study them and understand them, the more that you can see the sort of climatic and cultural logics that underpin them. So they're often elevated on stilts um, in order to sort of allow breezes to pass under them and provide cooling to the homes. And they're often sort of, well, they're timber frame buildings, typically weatherboard clad um, and have verandas wrapping around them. So there's all of these sort of layers of thin construction that provide buffer against the heat and the humidity that characterises that climate. So they have these really strong um, logics and sort of rationality to them, but they're also very crafted, so they're quite charming. They have beautiful proportions um, and a bit like a lot of those classic binoculars, you know, terrace houses um, or bungalows, they just are so capable of being transformed and changed to sort of hold life in all these different ways so the rooms can get switched out and the brand can be opened up or shut down um, and the homes are just incredibly robust and incredibly beautiful. So, wow, um, cool. Yeah, they're very, very common in the North Australia. They're a, they're a beautiful, beautiful housing type. Wow, that's awesome. And so it must have, yeah, it's sort of like what you've already said, but it must have been an amazing process to think about that, physically moving it um, and placing it somewhere else and then adding to the story and adding to the layers of that narrative. There must be must have been a lot of opportunity there. Absolutely. And we found ourselves talking a lot in the studio about how sustainable that was as a practice as well. I mean, you know, this is a building that's existed for over 100 years and you've got all of those amazing traditions of timber craft, particularly in places like Japan where you'd have um, temples or tea houses that were built from timber and would literally be, you know, taken apart and packed up and then moved to another city and, and reconstructed. And how in this age where we are sort of all starting to wonder what sustainable construction looks like, it's, it's such a good example of a building that can be shifted and moved and sort of yeah. transformed in these really interesting ways. I noticed that you put a post on your Instagram recently about sustainability and, um, I mean, obviously sustainability shouldn't be a tack on for anyone who's practising architecture, but it, it does sound like your firm has like a, a pretty um, strong focus on it. Is that something that you guys have been thinking about for a while? I think it's definitely... It's definitely important and I think the more that we practice, the more we realise how important it is that both we as a practice but also architects as professionals um, react to and take a stance on these issues of climate change and the part and the role that construction plays within that broader narrative that we're all experiencing. So it's not necessarily something that's a huge part of our education but it's so interesting that in the last couple of months we've seen you know, Reba and British students and a range of initiatives in Australia and no doubt around the world that have given voice to people's frustration about inactivity in that area. Yeah. And I think that as a practice, we just recognise that we have a responsibility to try and make really deliberate choices around the way that we design and the way that we build. And, and that can be across any number of areas. It can be about prioritising 
smallness. So we're, we're building less and we're taking the sites that we're working with as a great privilege and treating them with more care and thought. Um, it's, a, it's around the materials that we're choosing to use and where they're coming from and what their production processes are and the, you know, implicit carbon footprint within those materials. Um, there's a lot, I think, that we're starting to realise and, and starting to um, grapple with as professionals. And I don't think they're easy questions. <laughs> they're yeah, ones for that sure. have, um, very clear answers, at least for us. We're very much in that stage of trying to figure out what it means for our own buildings and our own work. But I think, you know, sustainability is about being conscious of the choices that we make and making really careful and deliberate decisions that understand that we're in a privileged position when we do build and that we have a responsibility to do it right and do it well. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really something that's at the forefront of the discussions we're having as a practice at the moment and we're doing a lot of research into the materials we're using and trying to understand where they come from, what their metrics are, and um, starting to develop some processes in-house that means that we make ourselves a bit more accountable for the choices that we're making. Yeah, um, that's cool. And uh, I guess one of my other questions was um, before we delve into the Gillux travelling experience, which I'm sure there are many stories to tell here, um, I wanted to ask briefly about, yeah, your experiences in other practices. Um, you mentioned you worked for Peter Statuary and um, I did a little bit of um, research and I think you worked for Henning Larson as well. I was really, I was lucky I, I won a scholarship through Sydney Opera House in oh, cool. Sydney to go on an exchange program to Denmark for a few months and wow. they have this fantastic program called MAGE where every year for the next um, for a 10-year period they're sending five Danish students to Australia and five Australian students to Denmark to work on a project in the spirit of the Opera House. So oh, wow. That's yeah, cool. an incredible program. We take two architects, a designer and two engineers and you have to work collaboratively on a project. So it's all about that sort of multidisciplinary way of working. Yeah. Elf was so insightful um, and and taught us a lot about, you know, teamwork and collaboration and the different strengths that people bring to projects. Um, But, yeah, we we had this internship. uh, Our group, um, their office in Copenhagen has probably about, at the time, had about 120 people, but they've got satellite offices around the world. Um, It was actually my first experience being in a big practice, so that was really um, interesting to seeing the differences between... um, you know, the smaller studio environments I was used to and those larger businesses. But there were a couple of things that were particularly formative from the time I had at Henning Larson. And it's, it's incredible how sometimes you have those experiences in life where I think the time for the sort of intensity of an experience that yeah. leaves the mark you. Yeah. And the time I had in Denmark was definitely like that. So oh. the first thing was that in Denmark, the way that architects are educated is completely different to Australia. So... Where we're given all these different layers of thinking and design and detail, in Denmark, you basically study as either a sort of creative architect, a design architect, or a tech. So I was working out, it's literally split into on, across two floors, and the design architects worked on one floor, and the construction architects worked on another. And it was just a completely different way of looking at projects and the ownership and authorship over projects as well. And so you'd have competitions where the competition team upstairs would sort of have this incredible conceptual thinking and design ambition, and then it would get handed down to this 
very capable team who would honour that thinking but use their expertise to enrich it and detail it with this incredible love and labour. And it was just a completely different way of eyes and play your strengths as an architect and use that to enrich your work. And that's really influenced the way that we work at Trius because being a practice of three, we really play off each other's strengths. And so rather than everyone trying to be a sole genius, it's very much a collaborative effort where we all understand our strengths and we step in. Um, but the other thing that was amazing in Denmark is culturally the way that offices work is completely different. So um, compared to Australia where I think we work quite hard um, and there's at times these very um, almost masochistic cultures in architecture. Um, yeah. We, I, I got to kind of be in this office environment where people worked flexibly, um, everyone would go upstairs and share a meal at 12 o'clock every day. Um, people would look at you if you were still there at five and kind of say, what are you doing? You should go home. Yeah. We balanced attitude towards gender and family life, which was so formative for me as a kind of young woman in architecture who was sort of already sitting there going, what's the future of my place in this career going to look like? Yeah. To see people yeah. who were sharing parenting or who were, you know, bringing their kids into work. So that was really, really inspiring and, again, really sort of foundational for the way that we've we've been thinking about our future as a You Yeah, you sort of walk away from Scandinavia and, um, I mean, they're known for design, so I think there's definitely something in that. Um yeah. Mm, mm. Well, design has such a different role within Scandinavian cultures. It's much more egalitarian and it's part of the tradition of things being precious and things being um, something that you take care of and something that gives you joy and comfort and coziness. There, it's just part of everyday life and it's something that so many people have access to and that that creates a completely different culture and a completely different day-to-day where suddenly um everyone gets the opportunity to experience good design and it makes for a better society i genuinely believe that yeah where do you think this sort of shift in thinking about a more egalitarian design approach could start i think it can start i think it'll probably start first and foremost at university because when people start their education, learning about the design process and how to produce architecture for the first time, but essentially they're being initiated into a professional culture. And when we have universities that push students in terms of their sort of physical, emotional and mental limits, I mean, it's so interesting thinking back on um, how incredibly hard I know I worked in my degree and I'm grateful that I worked very hard part of the difficulty of balancing these things, I think, is that there's so much joy in that in architecture school. There's so much joy in both going through yourself and then watching others just fall in love with architecture for the first time and develop that genuine, almost insatiable passion and curiosity for buildings. Yeah. But I also do remember going into my first job and getting deadlines and sort of having to learn how to get work done because I just wasn't used to design ever stopping and I wasn't used to um, a professional environment where I just had to be willing to let it go. And I've been quite lucky in my career that all of the jobs that I had in the lead up to Trias were very balanced offices where, where 
um, that sort of discipline around time management was really valued. And that really taught me the importance of being efficient and decisive and creative, definitely. But also when we have the combination of the culture being promoted in university and then perpetuated in offices, um, that's where we start to really build a professional culture that's built on long hours, you know, incredible amounts of hard work and potentially the sort of ramifications of that, of, of mental health issues and burnout and all those kinds of things. And I've worked very, very hard in my career, but I also have learned that ultimately I'm a better colleague and designer and collaborator when I'm healthy and balanced and taking care of myself and all of those things. So um, I really do believe that it's it's something that I'm talking about a lot more as well. Um, and interestingly, I think parts of what that you're doing with this podcast or, or we're seeing now with more women having voices in the industry is a positive step in that direction too because um, a lot of the values that we've held up in architecture for a very long time are those sort of um, quite masculine and sort of relentlessness and persistence and sort of doing things at all costs. And yeah. it's really nice now to see leaders emerging who – have different ways of doing things and are producing fantastic work and are just different voices. They might be kind of quieter voices or, um, you know, people who do have families and kids and they're part of who they are and the way they produce people outside of that. Um, So I find that really exciting and inspiring as well. Thinking about equality, you can't really think about an egalitarian society without, well, in my opinion anyway, sort of thinking about diversity and um, moving away from the homogeneity of business models and ways to be in practice. Um, I started this podcast just looking at women and then you sort of start to look into that and realise that, um, yeah, there's sort of a diversity of that that needs to be represented. But I think that the door is opening at the moment for different ways and different ways of thinking um, in design. I think as designers we do we do inherently value differences of of creativity and different ways of thinking but I think it's when it comes to business and when it comes to the construction industry it's a it's a different thing I I wonder if in small practices there are ways to I don't know organize things differently and think about things differently and Mm, well something that we've discovered in our practice I think because we did start very young um had to build so much from the ground up, everything down to our business structures and systems and filing and naming and all of those things. Um, we had a situation where we had three people sitting there and everyone had worked in different places and seen different ways of doing things and that created this really robust framework for us to go, well, why is this way better than this way or does it have to be like this or can it be something different? So, And, I mean, it does make you realise why certain things are the way they are, but it also, as you said, makes you sometimes go, well, maybe this could be something different and what would the impact of that be, which is quite refreshing. And um, just to jump to another topic, you have also, um, yeah, had just had this incredible experience on the Dulux Travelling scholarship and you would have seen there in a different way um, a number of different practices which Alex and I sort of touched on a little bit Um, how has that been having gone there and sort of opened up your eyes in this like whirlwind to coming back and um, yeah recommencing work in your own practice like how's that been 
Oh, it was, I mean, the Dulux Travel Scholarship was such an amazing experience and I, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Yeah. Anyone um, be part part of the, the group um, and we had a fantastic group of five people. We all kind of got along like a house on fire and oh. had this, oh, it's just fantastic. We had this sort of amazing whirlwind of, you know, 10 or 11 days where we just got to talk about buildings and get to know each other and, and laugh and enjoy each other's company and hear about each other's stories, which I think means so much in our industry because everyone does have um, a story about where they come from and have so much to learn from from each other in, in that regard. So that was really special. Getting to know everyone was definitely one of the highlights. And then, of course, we were um, in some fantastic practices in Copenhagen and London and Lisbon. And, I mean, I think I took a few really strong things away from the trip. Um, One was this idea that when you have a series of practices who are working with a particular set of values in mind, what that starts to do is create a collective culture and, and the environment that you're in. And in all of the cities we went to, there were these common threads of the practices in what they were talking about and interested in and fascinated by. And you could sort of start to see that all around you. So we'd go into a practice and hear them talking about what they were interested in and then you went out onto the streets and it felt like you were seeing the same thing. Almost every practice we went to talked about the importance of public space and yeah. the importance of civic life and, and this idea that buildings should should give as much as they take or should, should offer something back. Mm-hmm. And that spirit seemed to be reflected in the city somehow. And um, in London, there was this kind of intellectual fastidiousness to design. And similarly, out on the streets, there was such a buzz and energy and sort of vitality that sort of thrummed through the city. And in Lisbon, it was this care around history and and craft and tradition. And and Lisbon just sort of, again, radiates all of those things. So that really amazing thing to see. And then reflecting on that in our own cities and and places where we practice to think well the values that we put forward and the kind of discussions we have with other practices and the things we organize and the, the talks we have you know to think that they can actually dovetail into our city I found that really really inspiring and really I find it um so interesting that you're saying this because um you're working in residential and it makes me think about how the house is not just a unit, it's also part of the, uh, the, the greater fabric of a city. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that's so so interesting. And we talk about that all the time in our practice, the fact that, you know, one building on a suburban street can, can say something to an entire suburb. It can actually sort of speak of sustainability or modesty or, um, you know, beauty or whatever it is. They're sort of symbols and um, parts of our community. And so when you were overseas, was there one particular building or one particular practice that really touched um, you or had an impact on you? There were, there were a lot. <laughs> That's so hard. There was probably so many. Um, but there were a couple that I really, I really admired. Um, so Lundgaard and Tramberg in Copenhagen, I've always been a huge fan of their work. And um, we went on an amazing tour of their office, but also heard a lot about how they work. And the thing that struck me about their work, and they do incredibly beautiful work, we learned from talking to them is how much they fight for that quality. Mm-hmm. And how much of their 
back end of their business is dedicated to convincing clients to invest in that quality, to um, arguing for the importance of things like public space, um, and to sort of they were a practice that came along as came across as having an enormous amount of sort of courage and conviction in the work that they were doing. Heath Arbor, architects from London. There's fantastic practice of eight that work from King's Cross, this tiny, beautiful kind of crowned with model studio in King's Cross in London. And again, this sort of willingness to fight, to speak to the city, to speak to the local borough, to work with policymakers and consultants and all of these people to make fantastic built outcomes mm. and to be clever through the processes of making architecture, not just through making something beautiful. And I think, again, the more that you understand practices and maybe this also comes from my perspective of being a small business owner, you you really do realise the entire infrastructure that creates a work of architecture, that it's not just you, it's all of these other people and, and to actually work with all of those people and work together to get a really great outcome. And those practices I felt like really understood that and taught me a lot about the importance of, of that. It's been really great to chat to you. Um, I guess I could, I mean, there's so many, so many questions I could ask to finish up, but um, yeah, like what, one thing that I, I am really interested in um, is unpacking some of the challenges that people face in their career and um, wrapping that up with advice. Um, have there been any sort of challenging points for you and yeah what sort of advice would you give to people who may be going through a similar thing um studying or working in architecture Mm. um I definitely have some challenging moments um a couple stand out to me so one was um I was made redundant really quickly from my first graduate job which um sort of took me completely by surprise about two or three months in um was basically sat down one day and they said look we're so sorry that we just don't have a job for you anymore yeah the work probably wasn't there the work just wasn't there and at the time it just felt I was so gutted and of course you sort of sit there and you go oh no it's it's totally me and of course yeah and and now you realize it's not sure (laughs) but yeah Um, at the time but that was a difficult experience and I think as much as anything um, it was also because I hadn't, I didn't kind of realize it at the time, but I think I had this idea in my head about how my career was going to progress. Yeah. And I sort of thought, okay, I'll take this graduate job and I'll go there for five years and I'll learn this kind of neat path that I'd, I'd laid out in my mind. And it sort of threw that up in the air. It actually meant that for a couple of years, I sort of, you know, I, that I was sort of, I was scrapping around a little bit and, and struggled for a while without having the prestige of a great name and a great studio behind me to sort of um, give me that sense of confidence. But ultimately that whole experience sort of propelled me and, and us at Trias on a path to forming our practice a lot younger. And so I'm incredibly grateful for it now, but at the time it was just yeah. like one of those kind of failures. <laughs> um, the second one would be, the entire process of starting up business. Think that you do these things um, and you kind of have to do them pretty naive and with your eyes wide open, but it's been very hard and very stressful. And the first couple of years in particular, we were working from our apartment and and so it's kind of pretty stressful, pretty unglamorous sometimes. 
and um, because our small office is with my partner and our good friend, it's sort of, it was really our whole world for a period of time. And yeah. that was hard. That was really challenging. Uh, yeah. It took a lot of work to get to where we are now. Yeah, I could imagine. Um, and just the um, wrapping everything up together when it's work and your relationship and friendships and passion and it's it's a lot of things to um, to bring together. I think you guys have done really, really well and um, I've loved seeing your Instagram and I love the quality of work that you present in terms of um, the ideas that are coming out of your studio. So I think it's really great to hear that. Thank you. And we, I mean, we're really proud as well and we're, we're proud of what we've done together and we're proud of each other and um, being a kind of emerging practice here in Australia. So, um, you know, of what we do and so um, yeah. we hope it really shines through. Oh, thank you so much. Um, there's so many, like, good points in there. Um, I, can't, I can't wait to share it. The thinking of me. Oh, thank, thank you. How did you go with Alex the other week? Didn't you? Oh, what a dynamic duo. This jam-packed feature was a real pleasure to edit. Thanks, Jen and Alex, for your time. In our next episode, we'll be chatting to Shu West. And then it was kind of got to a point where it became harder to balance between having the full-time role and doing these creative projects on the side, especially when the creative projects started paying my bills. Thanks for listening. I look forward to sharing Shu's episode with you.